welcome, welcome to another Rags Riches Secrets. Today we're going to continue our conversation where we were talking about the fourth turning and the beginning of the end so that you can kind of comprehend what we're talking about. Now, the, the reason I'm bringing this up, so you might be going into 2023 thinking, hey, how do I take and navigate this future space? How do I take and I navigate in this world of uncertainty? And what, what light can we provide that would help you start figuring out how you could take and position yourself to take advantage of some opportunities. One of the most useful frameworks I've been able to find and to start looking at and using is this book called, it's called The Fourth Turning. Um, it's got, uh, Neil Howe is, the, is one of the authors on this that I recognize, okay? And when I've gone through this, here's some things that he brought up. So we're just going to do a minor recap. So my previous podcast, I went into the fourth turning. I went into it more detail. I'm going to do a high level on this, and then I'll start going into some of these elements. But here's what has been able to be documented. So they, they've determined, um, think, think of this like you've got, so you got uh, spring, and after spring comes uh, summer, then fall, then comes winter. And like nobody can say, hey, you know what, this year I don't think I really want to experience winter. What we're going to do is we're just going to bypass that and we're going to completely sidestep it. So like here we are in Utah. Like, you know what, my wife doesn't like winter. We're going to go ahead and skip that and go straight to the springtime because she loves spring, okay? The thing is, is you can't skip seasons of time like that. And as they've done their homework, they really discovered that there are four turnings that take place and each of these turnings take place they, they represent a 20-year window. And after that 20-year passes, then they go into a new one. And they've gone back um, seven seculums. So a seculum is comprised of four turnings. And they've gone back in Anglo-American. They've documented seven seculums that have taken place. Um, I'll do a quick recap so you can... But the first three don't mean much to me because I haven't paid attention to it. It doesn't mean much to me. But a major, major fourth turning occurred um, in 19, between 19, or 1773 to 1794. This was the American Revolution. When we took and we separated from the world and we said that we are now our own independent nation. So the next fourth turning, this is when the Civil War hit. So this is about 80 years later. Civil War hit is very, very destructive. Very, very culminated in a massive world war or a massive war inside the United States. The third big turning inside the United States was the Great Depression and World War II. Now you can have wars and stuff in between in different like turnings, but they don't culminate into a big significant transpiring like wow uh, type event. This World War II was, which then triggered a massive uh, worldwide or triggered a massive de Great Depression. We are now in the next 80 year or the next window of the next turning. So this is about 80 years later. So we're, we're looking at the years of 2008 to 2029. And what we don't know is exactly how the turning is going to play out. Now, if we go back and we look at this previous seven seculums, they all culminated in a significant like ridiculously crazy war. Um, and so, like th when you think of winter, for example, this is where I'll help you kind of see some context. So on winter, for example, it doesn't always mean that the winter has to be severe. And at some years, like you can have a ridiculously severe winter. So every winter is obviously slightly different, but you can't skip the winter 
just skip right into spring. And so, like, when, when we're in the first turning, this is when we just came out of a massive crisis. This is like people are so sick of fighting and stuff that they're willing to come together. They're willing to collaborate. They're willing to get along. And as they go into that, then they spend 20 years in that window. Then they go into what they call the second turning. This is an awakening. This is an opportunity. We start discovering things. We start, we like, it's just awakening of opportunities. And we start figuring out how to make this happen. How to start, how to start, really start growing and, 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 and compounding and making some really good magic, so to speak, happen. But then we slide into the third turning, which is an unraveling, which is we start harvesting. And if you look at where, where we've come from, we, like our ancestors, had created a tremendous America. And then we spent a great deal of time harvesting and enjoying the abundance of it. And now where we're sliding in is into the fourth turning. Science of a fourth turning is there's going to be crises. There's going to be things that aren't going to set right. And there, there can be a collection of things that could transpire. But you don't know exactly. What, what these guys are talking about is they, they know windows of time, but they don't know what would cause the fourth turning to trigger and if the fourth turning would turn into an all-out war. So the book said, look for these things inside the fourth turning because these things could actually be what could cause the fourth turning to take place and pay attention for it. So said, okay, take a look for a financial crisis. Um, look for drought. Look for famine. The book even specifically said um, there could be triggered, this book was published in 1997, what could be a trigger in, in, inside the fourth turning is a uh, war in Russia where they actually attacked Ukraine. Interesting. So they said uh, it could be caused by a worldwide pandemic. It could be caused by an energy crisis. It could be caused by Social Security or having made commitments and promises that cannot be fulfilled because they can't be funded. It could be uh, triggered by lawlessness that takes and transpires. Um, it could be triggered by a government taking and arming its citizens against itself. It could be triggered by inflation. Um, one of the things that will happen in such an environment is people will start watching their wealth disappear. Okay, so now you've got some good context for what's taken and transpiring. Let me show you some elements inside this that are just interesting. Um, I have, in the previous podcast, I didn't really talk anything about Social Security, but let me put it into context. So you, you've heard about the baby boomers and you've heard about the different generations. Okay, there's a generation. So the baby boomers constitute 70 million people that were born in the baby, baby, boomers, uh, uh, baby boomers generation. So the baby boomers window is between 1946 and 1964. So there's your gap, or there's your window right there, and that's when 70 million people were born. So Social Security has been being paid out to uh, help retirees to retire. So the baby boomers, their 70 million people have been supporting the previous generation, which are uh, com comprised of 19 million uh, individuals. Okay. So the cool thing is, is you got 19 million people that are then being able to receive a retirement uh, check on Social Security. And that was being funded by the next generation where there was 70 million people in that window to be able to support 
the 19 million. So then we got the Generation X. The Generation X was also still in the window where they could take and support the 19 million. So as you can see right here, we've got about 140 million Americans that are enabling 19 million to retire. See what I'm talking about? Starting to become a little clear. Here is where it gets very, very interesting. This baby boomer generation, the 70 million people that are getting ready to retire. Take a look at this. So their retirement, age 66 is their retirement age. And so, uh, let me go. So the baby boomer generation started in 1946, so 1946. So the soonest baby boomers could start retiring is in 2012. And this will continue for, all right, let me, I'm going to take 66 years plus 1964. 66 plus 1964, okay? And so the baby boomer generation would have collectively made their conversion to retirement between 2012 or 2011 to 2030. So there's a good another eight years in which this generation will transition into retirement. Problem is, is you start looking at the generations. Now I got 70 million individuals in retirement age, but then the next generation, the generation X, that is now going to be supporting the 70 million is only 65 million people. See the problem? You got 70 that want to retire and you got 65 there to support them in their retirement. Now, fortunately, there's a group that's right behind it, which is the millennials. These guys are actually in the working age, so they're, they can be in the market. Now, they're not necessarily going to be as high income earners just yet, but they're probably doing just fine. But it doesn't change the fact, now you got 72 million people in that generation. And so we still go back to the basic math. You got 70 million people that want to retire, 65 million Generation X, and 72 million millennials supporting them. So basically, for every one person that's in retirement, there's two people working for every one person in retirement. You starting to see the problem? And so when we say, okay, yeah, maybe the Social Security is going to be there. Well, just do the math. Like every two people working are going to allow somebody to retire at 66 and stay in retirement for the next 20 years. Like collectively, you can see like this is what they're talking about in the fourth turning. A, a previous generation will make promises and considerations um, and gifts, so to speak, to help a generation. But what they will end up doing is finding themselves making promises or over-promising things that in the end they can't take and fulfill. Then this shows up. These are things that typically show up in a fourth turning where all of a sudden it's like it won't work. So something comes in. The system then has to be completely restructured. And so like in an event like this, the book suggested that historically, when these things have come in, they'll sit down and say, okay, like we want people to be safe. So what we're going to do is determine if you could take and receive retirement benefits based on a, um, a wealth test. If you've got a certain amount of economic wealth, certain amount of assets, certain amount of this, then you cannot, no, you can no longer be qualified as an individual to obtain this. See what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, the system is going to have to change. And like in that window, it could actually trigger the actual fourth turning to take place or to culminate in a major problem. Like collectively, 
you, you don't know exactly what's going to do it. Like, what we do know is, is we know that, for example, right now, the whole western part of the United States is in a drought. We know that because it's in a drought, the, the largest consumers or largest consumption of water is agriculture. Makes up like something like 90-something percent of it. it. It's substantial. So as we go into a drought and states start getting um, cuts to their water supply available, some of the very first things that are going to take a hit are agriculture. Agriculture is going to get it. So why, why take and plant the seeds if you don't have the ability to bring bring the harvest in because you have enough water. So if you don't have enough water, then what's the point, right? So all of a sudden you start questioning whether or not you want to plant crops. The other piece that will come into it is because cost of inflation or inflation has gone so high, now you have to look at the operating cost of running a tractor to be able to plow the field. And if you can't bring a profit, then what is the point of actually taking and, and planting, hoeing a field when you already plant and hold the field knowing that you're going to lose money. So collectively, those two things are coming into play on the western part of the United States. So if, if you, can you see the math already? So if you can't, if the water's not there, then the next thing that follows up is you start to experience a famine. Um, that right there is playing out on the west. What One of the things that triggered is because the cost during COVID, during that, the cost of hay and stuff to maintain cattle and all these different animals became so expensive that it no longer made sense or economic sense to be able to do it. I have a friend, for example, he had he had 97 horses. And he's like, I wrote a check. And I think he said in, in 2020, he says, I wrote, or 2021, he wrote, I wrote a check that year for $84,000 in hay just to feed my horses. And he goes, if I have to choose between feeding my family or my horses, he's like, I'm feeding my family. And he got rid of all but three horses. See what I'm talking about? Major shift on how he was doing it. But people who had cattle said, I am not going to take and pay this much money for the cattle. So then they pushed massive amounts of cattle to the market. So now market, like the cost of meat is kind of high. But you got to put it in perspective. The market is, or in essence, flooded with meat. But there's not cows on the back end that are highly available that can come onto market. So next year, we're going to probably see a massive increase in the cost of meat. Okay, um, California has passed a law that, that, that pigs and stuff have to have a certain amount of space to be able to take and to operate in so they're, they're treated humanely. But the funny thing about that is if you take if you take pigs and you watch how pigs operate, if you put them in a, in a yard, you'll discover that pigs love to herd up because they're social animals. So the problem is, is now that they have to have a lot of space, it no longer makes sense or it's no longer economical to be able to support these pig farms the way they need to. So California, they, like producers there of like pork, are now having to figure out how to deal with other producers that are outside of the state to see if they can collaborate to make it so that they can work. But collectively, you're going to see a jump in the cost of pork. Okay, so the the piece or the big issue with like Russia is Ukraine. Ukraine, one of the things that Ukraine is very good at is actually creating and producing wheat. They actually make up 40% of the worldwide wheat supply. Now, Russia is preventing the wheat from hitting the marketplace. So think about what would that mean 
if 40% of the world's supply of wheat doesn't make it to the market, we're talking breads, we're talking like cereals, we're, I don't even know all of the diverse things, I, like as I'm thinking, I don't know all the diverse things in which wheat goes into, but just think about it, think in your mind, what in the world does wheat go into? Does it go in my tortillas? Yep. Does it go in, I'm thinking about things that I eat. Does it go into bread? Does it go into pizza? Does it go into pasta? Does it go into, um, I don't know. See what I'm saying? Problem is, is if that doesn't make it to the marketplace, then the next year you're going to discover there's going to be a famine. Like what we're consuming now was the previous year's production that's in the marketplace. It's the next year's production that has to get into the marketplace that makes you go, huh, we might have a problem. Okay. So we're seeing it. The one of the big ones that's smoking us right now is a worldwide energy crisis. Russia is a gas can. And now that we are no longer purchasing oil from Russia, it is now made, it's kind of, so to speak, made the world vulnerable. Like Europe really doesn't have great supplies of uh, production to generate oil and all that good stuff. They have to actually import it. So the problem that they have is, is they use natural gas, for example, to generate electricity. Natural gas has gone up so much that it is more expensive now in Europe to power your house than it is to pay your rent or your mortgage. That's the problem. So collectively, like Europe is in a massive, they're, they're experiencing a massive amount of pain. And, and it's not just Europe. Europe is what we talk about. Europe's where we can see it at. But see, Europe is wealthier than many nations in the world. So as the oil supplies and natural gas makes it into the marketplace, Europe will say, I am willing to pay more money than what South Africa or some of these other nations in the world are willing to pay for that oil, or please send it here. We will pay more. And as a result, then Europe gets it, which means the poor countries are discovering that they are not actually getting the energy that they need to be able to operate the businesses that they have. See the problem right there? So there was even an inbound, it was last week, there was an inbound tanker that was going to Europe. And the United States, they're like, we're willing to write a bigger check for that supply. Please, di please divert it away from Europe and bring it right over here to New York. And that's exactly what happened. The fuel got diverted. So it's, can you see the problem? Collectively, there is now a shortage of energy. But the problem, it, it actually kind of expands from there. That's not just, that's only, you're, you're seeing part of the tip of the iceberg. So think about it. The, the reason, like, the reason we can take and build out civilizations, the reason we can take and build out our, like, in the old days, you had to, like, everybody was a farmer, okay? And eventually, we discovered that we could hold things in a large we, like one farmer with a really good tractor could actually supply or support a lot of people. So then we had a diversion or we had reallocations of pro or things that we do. So now I could be specialized in solar. You could be specialized in loans and, and originations, which means that other people can be specialized in different things. And collectively, the world then became specialized in different things instead of becoming specialized in the actual production of like food. So think about it. So if you've got a factory now in India and you rely on oil and energy and natural gas to be able to operate your factory and you can no longer get it, now you've got to ask yourself, what is the likelihood that you would be able to continue operating your facilities successfully 
in the absence of energy. You see the problem. The problem is, is the wealthy ones are willing to pay more than the poor ones can, and the poor ones, the poor countries need it to be able to continue to produce. So that's one of the things that's really crazy that's actually taking transpiring right now. And, and as you look at it, there is what it means is that there's a lot of pain that's being spread throughout the entire world. And then the question is, is what will culminate or what will trigger a tipping point in which all of a sudden things hit the fourth turning? Okay. Hopefully, hopefully for all of us, this means that the fourth turning is mild, mild, but it does not necessarily mean that that is how it's going to take and transpire. Okay. Now I want you to pause for a second and I'll show you, I'll show you another piece of information that once you understand this, it will make you go, huh, are we fragile as a world? Are we at risk as a world of being able to continue to operate? And the answer is, I suspect we are highly fragile at this point. I'll show you what I mean. And I'll use Apple for an example because everybody's familiar with an Apple iPhone. Okay. One, one of the things after World War II, the United States said, look, we are going to secure the world. Have you ever heard that people say the United States is everybody's police? They're policing the world. And you see in movies, the United States is bossing everybody around. The United States has got facilities, plants, military, and all these other countries throughout the world. And you see it, and then you're like, and people are like, people comment about it. It's like, I'm tired of policing the world. I'm tired of protecting the world. Okay, after World War II, the United States says, look, we are going to secure all the shipping lanes around the world. We're going to drive the pirates out. We're going to make it so things can function. What we're going to do is we're going to make things so that, like, you could successfully transport oil from Saudi Arabia to the United States or to any other country in the world because the United States will make those shipping lanes safe. Now, think about it. Like one of those big tankers, a big old freaking tanker, it probably can only move 15 miles an hour on the water. Can you see the problem? It's, it's like a sitting duck on top of the water transitioning to its point of origin. So it's not like it's a highly secure vessel in the sense that it can outrun a pirate or somebody that's coming after it. The reason it works well is the United States polices the ocean so that you can, you can hit your desired destination. What happens? What happens when the United States starts saying, we've got to take care of our own. We have our own social security financial crisis. We've got all of these things that are transpiring inside the United States and we have got to bring it home and start fixing our own problems and solve our, our own problems rather than fixing the entire world's problems. See what I mean? And as we take and we pull back and all of a sudden you've got Saudi Arabia tanker and it's coming down to the south part of Africa and Africa says, we would be a lot better off right here, right now, if we were in possession of that oil. You see the problem. Now you're starting to see the picture. All of a sudden, their ability to transport that stuff to a different destination or the intended destination so that they can continue to get money back so that they can buy other products. Like what does Saudi Arabia produce? Oil. What is Saudi Arabia good at? Oil. What is Saudi Arabia not good at? Everything except oil. Okay, you want fish hooks? Like, I don't want to completely downplay it, but collectively, that's what that country is. It's an oil exporter. Okay, 
They rely on everybody else in the world to provide everything that they don't have because the one thing that they do have is oil. And if the oil can't get to, to the destinations intended, the question is, is can they get the stuff to their destination that they need? So Saudi Arabia could have a large population boom. They have probably more people than they can support inside their country because they can get food from other countries because they're rich with oil and they can afford to buy it. Now it's starting to culminate. Take China, for example. China has got a massive, massive population. Inside China, they used to, to be able to sustain and support their population. They had fields and all kinds of stuff where they could do rice. And, and rice, it was, a, it was a very tricky, like, strategy to be able to bring food to the marketplace. So the problem is, or the thing that happened is, is because they discovered that they could actually import food from other places in the world and they could, in exchange, start specializing in manufacturing. So right where the big old piece of land is where you were going to drop, where you were going to where you were going to have agriculture and make food for your population, they drop a building on top of it. So now I got this building sitting on top of it. No big deal because now they're production, now they're manufacturing, now they're building some stuff. It's cool because now they can trade inside the world marketplace and bring food into the country that they need to support them and their people. Okay, what happens when they discover that the shipping lanes and the world is no longer collaborating and no longer working together to make sure that the, the seas and stuff are secure? Problem is they don't have the Navy vessels, they don't have the weaponry to protect the seas to enable them to be able to transport and move stuff across the planet. See the problem right there? And so collectively, if we back off on securing the oceans, China is going to have a massive famine and you're going to see tons of tons of people die. They're going to hurt. They're going to be a massive amount of pain. Okay. So let's, now that you're starting to see the thing, the problem is, is not every country on the planet is as well equipped as the United States. The United States, we can make our food. We can, we can get our own gas. Um, we have access to precious metals. Like what we don't have, Canada probably does have. And what Canada doesn't have, we can figure out how to deal within Mexico. In fact, the United States could just secure the, the American continent from top to bottom, and we could be completely self-sufficient without requiring on resources or help from anybody else in the world. Problem is, is the rest of the world is not as fortunate as the United States. Europe has a major problem. They don't have natural gas. They don't have energy. The only reason that they could build and grow and scale the way they were is because they could pull in energy from other places to allow their like to allow themselves to expand and to grow. The, the absence of that is a major problem. So take a look at your iPhone. So you got a you got an iPhone. You pop it out, you look at it, and you're like, man, I paid a thousand bucks for this. Pause for a second and ask yourself this question. Okay, here's the Apple iPhone map. The reason that that device in your hand is very cheap is because we can be produced on massive scale um, and economies of scale throughout the entire world. So there's 75 manufacturers of the iPhone inside the United States. There are nine manufacturers in Mexico and Latin America. There are five manufacturers in Israel. And these I'm talking about manufacturers of components of an iPhone. There are nine manufacturers inside the United Kingdom. Six in Belgium and Netherlands, 
13 in Germany and Austria, 6 in the Czech Republic and Hungary, 7 in France and Italy, 330 in China, 148 in Japan, 39 in South Korea, 35 in Taiwan, 26 in Malaysia, 23 in Philippines, 19 in Thailand, 18 in Singapore, and 10 in Vietnam. Okay. It, can you see how the iPhone is spread across the entire world? And if those shipping lanes are not in place, like the iPhone probably doesn't operate if it's missing like a handful of these components. That's, therein lies the problem. So like one day, this iPhone that's a thousand bucks and the world creates a disruption like it is, this might be a $10,000 iPhone. Because now all of a sudden, there, there's a, there's a, the supply chain breaks. COVID was a, COVID was a blessing in disguise because it, it exposed the vulnerability of our systems. You can see it, you can see it clear as day. You've got Ford and GM. In fact, I got these really, really nice cameras that I'm doing this podcast. And my, I create my content on. You couldn't get these cameras for six months because they there was a shortage of chips. Okay, there was a shortage of chips to be able to bring these cameras to the market. There was a shortage of chips for Ford to actually finish building their cars. There was a, for, a shortage of chips for GM to finish building their cars. Collectively. The supply chains became disrupted. And then it then put huge waiting lists for you to be able to get anything that you wanted. I, I bought two Polaris razors. And I like the ones with those really cool displays on it. And I had to wait six months to get it because the chip needed for that display was not available. Not only were they, was the production all messed up, but the chips weren't available. And then they straight up said, we are no longer taking any orders for the side-by-sides that actually have the display on it, the ride command, because we don't have chips and we can't fulfill our contracts, okay? It became disrupted. COVID, COVID was disruptive, but it wasn't a culmination of a worldwide war. It was not disruptive in the sense that pirates started cruising the ocean. It's not disruptive in the sense that the United States stopped policing the world to help secure shipping lanes. Now, the ports got clogged, Okay. Now there's things that didn't work well, but do you see what I'm talking about? There's a big difference between the world thinking that there's a, well, the world experiencing a pandemic and the world experiencing a worldwide crisis in which people can't get along. And so collectively, as you start thinking about this, this is things that I started doing. I'm like, okay, one thing I know right now, a fridge is actually relatively affordable. But the supply chain on a fridge gets broken up and then your access to the fridge, what happens to it? I, I don't know. Like I have a, an LG fridge. It's a, that's what I ordered. It's a, it, you know, it's a Korean fridge. Okay. There's shipping lanes that are associated with that. Um, you start looking at all of your appliances. You start looking at your phone. You start looking at things. And I basically, I just said, okay, what inside my house is actually getting old and what would need to be replaced? I said, I want a new fridge. I want a new freezer. I want a new washer and dryer. Like I want something that can go through. I want, I want to be covered through the next 10 years so that if the shipping lanes become busted and all of a sudden like a, a fridge that used to cost like 3000 bucks, all of a sudden costs 10,000 bucks. I'd rather spend three grand today than 10 grand tomorrow because I already know I'm already going into a crisis. Like the cake is baked. The roadmap is laid out. The seculums are already known. The outcomes are not necessarily known, but the windows in which 
these things transpire are very predictable. It's a framework. You can it's just a framework. You just play within the framework and you can see the things that would culminate in the likely outcomes from the framework. Okay. And so I literally started asking myself, like what, what food should I have? What food store should I have? Like what and, and basically I don't try to be a prepper on everything, okay? But since we know that the framework now says that, that we're in the fourth turning in the crisis, and there is so much smoke surrounding us that suggests that there is actually a real problem, then it is on me to be ready because I already know, based on the framework and historical data, that this takes place and transpires. The problem that we have is we always think that because things are going up, they will always continue to go up. Okay, We think that that's the case. But 2008 should have said, okay, like, like when you have a massive ramp up in production, all of a sudden the market crashes on the houses, right? So we had a housing crash. Okay, Then we started ramping up. We were slaying it through 2021, cranking out houses like crazy. If you go look at the new production starts, it was blistering how fast it was going. Um, but then... Like clockwork, we there, there's there's some sort of pullback. It just happens, and so I don't I can't tell you that we're going to have a major housing market crash. What I can tell you is is nobody can move homes now because the homes don't make sense. They're priced out of out of oblivion, and so collectively it is very expensive to take and own uh, to buy a home with high prices and high interest rates. So collectively the consumer has got pushed out of the market. Now we probably need those houses. So since we have a, a supply shortage of houses, like, I mean, we had a, we kind of had a supply shortage of houses back in 08 anyway, but we have a shortage of houses because we have big demographics of people coming online that need access to housing. Um, the real problem is, is like, it, it just goes through cycles. You just already know that it's going to happen. It's just going to play out. That, my friends, is another Rags vs. Secrets. I will take and I will bring you, like tomorrow I'll bring you another sequel where I start diving into this more in detail so that you can see the turmoil that will take and transpire inside the world. That, my friends, is another Rags Riches Secrets, and I will talk to you later.